Welcome to the Center in the City podcast. I'm your host, Wade Brill, and during this series, I'll be interviewing various thought leaders, wellness experts, and humans on how they practice sustainable self-care and mindfulness. We'll get real and raw, talk about the light and the shadow side of self-care and mindfulness, and how we can actually stay centered amid the chaos and the hustle and bustle of our modern day world. So settle in and get centered. This podcast episode is brought to you by Centered in the City, a virtual on-demand self-care and mindfulness platform with over 200 different meditations, journaling prompts, nourishing recipes, and Pilates flows, all designed to support you feeling calm, focused, and energized as you live your life in this modern day world. For more information, head on over to centeredinthecity.org and claim your seven-day free trial. Welcome back to the Center in the City podcast. I am so excited to have today's guest live with me. I get to speak with one of my besties, Athea Bediaco, who I have known since we were three years old. And today we get to have some real talk. You know, how meaningful is it in your friendships to go to the hard places to help yourself be seen by one another about what's working in your life and what's also really hard and challenging. So today Fia and I talk about mental health. We talk about perfectionism. We talk about how to make space in our life for ourselves when the impulse to do work is so strong or to people please is so strong. In the show notes, there's a link to grab hold of a practice I have for my community where it's get centered in 30 seconds. And it's an opportunity to practice these mindful pauses throughout our work days that help us bring the attention back to ourselves to help regulate our nervous systems when we get into that fight or flight and to come back to our centered selves. So if that's of interest to you, check it out in the show notes. Now let's get ready to listen to this episode and get centered. Fia, welcome to the Center in the City podcast. Thank you for having me. People who are listening don't know how fun this is because I've known Afia since we were three years old and we're still so close and it's just what a gift to have this more intimate space to have some like real talk. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm super excited. Tell us a time when you weren't centered and how you met yourself then. Yeah, I feel like I've had several times where I've not been centered. Um, I think for me, just given how I'm spending most most of my time these days, it's when I'm at home working. And I'm not centered because the incoming pings and emails and messages are really just kind of throwing me for a loop. Like at work, everything is urgent. Everything has to get done yesterday. And so recently I felt a lot of overwhelm just in terms of my ability to prioritize and figure out what's most important to me or not. And so in those moments, like when I don't feel centered, it's like a, a sensation in my stomach. And there's a combination of fear of messing up, a bit of frustration for my situation, and just like an overall like inability to really manage and prioritize what's coming my way. And so I found that like, I've been able to identify these moments, but they do happen way more frequently 
than I would like. You are definitely not alone in feeling all of those sensations. And I love how you were able to articulate like how they show up in your body, what are the stimuli in your environment that are happening, and then the kind of spiral that ends up happening. Yeah. How do you, knowing, knowing kind of a patterning, a typical patterning, and it's, it's happening at work, how do you meet yourself in those moments when you start to feel overwhelmed? It's funny. I really rely, I would say, heavily on friends of mine who are in similar situations who can relate to me. So I find myself like first and foremost, like looking for validation about how I feel outside of me. So I'll, I'll run the situation by a friend and he or she will tell me, you know, usually they agree with me, to be honest. And that's kind of, you know, how friends do me. <laughs> I think that like it's so reassuring to have the validation of your emotions, like first and foremost. So first it's like getting the validation. Since once I have that, I kind of remember like this job is like, I'm not saving lives. I'm not helping a vulnerable population. You know, I'm really doing important work because that's why I got into it in the beginning. But at the same time, like there are not everything is an emergency. And so I've been really trying to focus on really um, prioritizing and figuring out what is an emergency versus what is being presented to me as an emergency because someone else cannot manage his or her own emotions. So really trying to like prioritize what's actually happening and then going and then going from there. But I would say like even more tactically, I like get up from my desk and I kind of walk away for a second. I haven't like gotten as far as like leaving my apartment. I'm going to build up to that, but just kind of like getting up, kind of refocusing and then sitting back down because almost always it's not a catastrophe. It's not that bad. And it can be, it can be dealt with. Mm -hmm. And I think also for me, like a big thing has coming, learning how to ask for help when I need it and not isolating myself and taking on the entire issue on my own. That's mm. something that I've been having to kind of work through and I'm, and I'm getting better at as well. Okay. You just shared so much there that I want to highlight and slow down because you're not alone in feeling that rush and that pressure of of like, you know, that email you need to send out is urgent or responding to that Slack message. And if you don't like the whole world's going to collapse or you're going to get fired or yelled at or whatever it is. And how, um, I also feel like growing up in New York, you know, we all yeah. sort of just like innately <laughs> rushed our, I feel like our internal pace. Yeah, our internal pace is just like elevated. You know, I see this yeah. in a lot of my one-on-one -on -one clients I work with that are um, living in New York these days. And I'm yeah. like, some of it's you, like in your nervous system, and also some of right. it's your environment. Uh, Absolutely. But that can be a mirror to the pace of a corporate space, like in, yeah. in the, the pace and the expectations. And you're sharing a lot of wisdom of like pausing by getting up, leaving your space, shifting. Mm -hmm. And I'm hearing not letting the reactivity that's happening around you kind of infiltrate your own responses. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. And, and that's huge. And then also leaning on your people, leaning mm -hmm. on friends to process things or learning to ask for help and to support. So you're not alone. I think are huge skills, especially as a lot of people are working remote these days or yeah. their companies have gone fully remote. And it's like, how do we learn how to self-regulate when we're really isolated and we don't have other people to kind of help us regulate, co-regulate? Yeah, absolutely. 
talk to me about why you're so passionate about mental health. Oh my goodness. That's a great question. And one of my friends, I was texting before this, I would say I'm passionate about it for, I would say two reasons. Um, first and foremost, it comes from, um, my brother. So as you know, of course, my brother suffers from or has autism and he's had it for as long as I can remember. Um, however, I would say, you know, one of my earliest memories is my mom um, talking about what was happening to him, how he was changing, how he was becoming developmentally delayed. And that was probably when I was about like three and a half, sorry, two and a half years old. So I think growing up with someone whose experience is so different from mine and is labeled as having, you know, certain disabilities or impediments really makes me aware of the different experiences that exist out there. Um, His being vastly different from mine. And we were privileged to grow up in New York where there are a lot of top tier specialists who could help him and having access to that, I just saw how much easier it made our lives. And so when I see it impacting other people, I'm also like really excited for them to pursue and get the help that they need to help manage their day-to-day. So I would say like, short answer is just growing up with someone who has autism really kind of helped me see the power of mental health professionals. Yeah. And, you know, what do you feel like growing up with a brother who has autism? What seeds did that plant in you at such a young age that you didn't really realize or maybe even acknowledge yourself for until later in life? I would say there are positive seeds and negative seeds. So I'll start with with, with everything in life. Yeah. <laughs> the positive seeds are that because like his verbal communication is pretty limited, I would say he understands a lot more than he can articulate. So I think in being around someone like that, it um it really helped me kind of understand nonverbal communication understand somebody when perhaps they haven't articulated something as they intended to or written something as they've intended to. Um, It's really helped me with that. And I think that by having an autistic sibling, you know, it made my heart softer. It made me really have like an empathy for other people that I don't know if I would have had otherwise. Um, Those are the positive things. I think that because they're in our family, it was my brother, myself, my mom, and my dad. My brother needed a lot more, um, let's say, attention than I needed. So perhaps at times I would have found myself not wanting to be a burden with perhaps some of my emotional needs. And as a result, I would try to tackle them myself. And I think that like, I've grown out of this through help of therapists and things like that. But I think that emotionally, I may have isolated myself growing up. And that's kind of something that I've been working through, you know, as a result. Thank you for sharing because both sharing the positives and the maybe unpleasant aspects are, are, are really real. You know, I remember when we'd have sleepovers and, you know, he'd come into 
the bed and want to play with us, how much patience you needed to have with him yeah. when communicating a different language, essentially, you know, yes, being exactly. non- nonverbal. And so how do you feel like patience has shown up in your relationship? Yeah, that's a good, that's a great, great, great question. So I consider myself to be very patient. Like when it comes to people who have, let's say like more severe challenges, I'm patient because one, I had to be patient, but two, I almost had to remain calm myself with my brother because he might perhaps have fed off of my agitation, Mm. especially in his like puberty, pre pre puberty years. That was a very, very, very tense time in my household. So I think for me, it's understand that people, people are just different and they're going to be different. And you kind of just have to, to live with that. Where I found myself being less patient and I'm working on it is that when people suffer from afflictions that might negatively impact um, other members of their families, like for example, alcoholism or drug abuse or things like that, where those two are chemical imbalances that people have to work through. But I think seeing the toll they can take on families, for example, like my mom growing up with an alcoholic mom, I just saw and heard about the abuse she inflicted on my mother. And so I have almost less patience for that. Mm. So I've been trying to kind of figure out, you know, what does this mean? And then how can I carry more empathy to people who are seemingly more capable, but they too have have um, challenges that hurt them and others. So it's kind of been like a juggling act for me mm-hmm. where I'm, I'm kind of helping, I'm working on spreading that empathy towards larger populations of people. Mm. Beautiful. You mentioned earlier that you're exploring like how to, um, you said how to be with your own emotions and needs, like to yeah. not to let other people in that you don't have to do it all of your own. How's this empathy practice being explored in your own work towards yourself? Mm, yeah, that's, that's the that's the tough one. Oh, that's hard, girl. Mm, I believe that in life, you know, lessons will occur over and over again until we finally learn what we need to learn. And so for me, if I'm in a situation, I'll be like, wow, I feel like you would have handled this in a way different way five years ago. So I think the self-love and self-compassion that I've shown myself, I've been able to do so in, in fighting my desire for perfectionism, like fighting my desire to always be absolutely on top of everything at work, um, have said something perfectly, um, you know, just had the foresight to avoid getting hurt by somebody else. Like these are things I used to really get on myself. I wasn't like, I need, I wasn't like a straight A student by any means because that wasn't important to me, but like the things that were important to me, I was like very much a perfectionist about. So I've had to learn, like, it's okay to, to not have it be perfect. You know, my mom used to always say, don't let perfect be the enemy of the good. Like just, you know, somebody just got to get it done and relax and understand that the stakes in making a mistake aren't as high as you think they are. And I would say, because most of my time is spent working, 
those have been my biggest challenges at work that I've had to kind of work through. So when I said the lesson kind of occurs over and over again, that's what I've had to face myself is having the compassion for not not being perfect at work. Yeah. Mm. Thank you for bringing up perfectionism because I thought I had kind of processed a lot of mm-hmm. my perfectionism slash I was never like, I was like, I'm not, I'm not really a perfectionist. And then I started exploring this theme around maximizers and, and satisfiers. And I just okay. wrote about this in my newsletter and maximizers are people who have this trait, this tendencies, it's not just a personality. So it's like a, a trait to make sure that every decision is the absolute best. Mm, okay. Okay. Sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So like, think of like how, when we would try to figure out what to eat or where to go yeah. or like what choices to make, like how much I'd get caught and like, this needs to be like the best meal. This needs to be mm-hmm. like the best decision. This needs to be the best boyfriend or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And then satisfizers are people who think that their decision is good enough. Like okay. they're making a decision. They're like, yep, that's good enough. Yep like, great, next. Mm -hmm. And when I kind of first learned about the satisfiers, it sounds like you're just like settling. Yeah. That sounds horrible. Good enough. And it spiraled me into this conversation of, wow, how much I view the world as everything is not enough. Yeah. Right? Like, I'm not making enough. I'm, I'm not successful enough. I, you know, my health is maybe not like at its most optimal, my, you know, like all of the ways that I could just see that showing up. And I realized how exhausting it was and how it actually made me feel like I was on this, like, you know, the hedonic treadmill, like constantly needing to do more, search more to get enough and to make sure it was the best decision. And it really started to affect my relationship with my husband, like in the Mm -hmm. smallest but biggest ways, like most of our fights are about food. (laughs) So, you know, like, (laughs) you know, he would be like afraid to recommend a restaurant because it wasn't good enough, you know, or make, or make a meal and it wasn't going to be good enough and like all these things. So I've really spent the last five plus years, six plus years working deeply on that to untangle from that. And I have had in the last few years so much more freedom in choosing the satisfier mm. option that it softened me. It's like helped me be like flow with life more than this like need that. to control so much, which again, I feel like it's so hard to know like nature, nurture, perfectionism. Like, is it the culture that we grew up in New York? Mm-hmm. Is it our parents' influence? Is it, right. you know, just society at large? But that insight just completely shifted. And I think a lot of people who experience perfectionism feel very similar to what you just shared of of just being on this, like needing to give self a lot of compassion and grace for how things are unfolding, whether it's at work or in personal life or health. Yeah. I think like, as you were talking, I think when it comes to, and this probably goes back to what I said earlier about not wanting to be an emotional burden um, to other people. Similarly, I would say like when it comes to making decisions that impact other people, I want to make sure I've made the best decision Mm -hmm. because I don't want to let anybody down, waste their time, disappoint, frustrate, you know? And then for myself, 
I almost have like a little bit of decision paralysis at times, but I am leaning more towards satisfier in that category because mm-hmm. okay, fine. Wasn't the best takeout decision that I've ever made, but who cares, you know, but definitely for other people, it's like wanting to like keep it together and make sure everyone's like happy and, and even keel and all that other good stuff. And I would say the root of it, um, you know, when we were growing up, I think that some parenting styles were like strict, you know, and it, and it was kind of like, if you know better, do better, you know, mm-hmm. kind of these messages like this, it kind of just reinforce that there is no room to misstep if you are aware that you're doing so. So I think that can kind of get you into a bit of overdrive on your decision-making and gear and lean you towards just, just things that aren't bad by any means. And you probably learned something from the decision that you did make and kind of leaning more into the lesson instead of not achieving whatever set goal you kind of arbitrarily set for yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you for discerning for yourself where you notice the maximizer and satisfier show up like internally choices for self versus externally choices for others. I think that's a really um, interesting kind of prompt to explore. Yeah, that sense of kind of hypervigilance, are are we making the right decision? And that feeling of needing to look good or impress others or make sure other people are happy or whatever that is, um, we can all get trapped in into that. Yeah. I'm curious, like, it's not switching gears completely, but like exploring you know, what are the ways that you are supporting your mental health and well-being these days? Mm-hmm. Well, I would say these days I've been focused on physical activity as probably a primary, a primary like solution for that. Um, I find that if I start my day doing cardio, specifically running outside, my concentration is just that much better. So for me, I know that it needs to be physical activity, preferably outside in nature. So that kind of helps my, my concentration. I would say also meditation has been really key for me. I like Kundalini that helps a lot. Um, but I prefer mostly guided meditations, um, because they really help me kind of focus my energy and my intention and when I've had those really impressive 21 day or 14 day streaks of having meditated like my ability I'm not as reactive to what other people are doing or saying and I notice a huge difference and I would say also just putting things in my body that really uh, nurture it and don't induce anxiety Um, so being mindful of my alcohol consumption or foods that perhaps I have allergies to. So I would just say it's really around those things. And I kind of never saw myself as the kind of person who like needed a schedule or to be strict in certain areas to, to function. And I would like kind of judge people who are like that. But, you know, as I've gotten older, I'm like, wow, just making the decisions that are right for you, like to your point is an act of self-care. And so in doing that, you can show up that much better in so many other facets of your life. Thank you. Like snap, <laughs> snap, snaps. Okay. So you recently just did the center yourself, this fall challenge. Yes. 14 days. Like tell us a little bit about your experience, what you noticed, how it was to 
prioritize yourself? Yeah, it was, it took a lot of effort to prioritize myself. I must say it was, I had to be very, very intentional and almost like write down and take note of what I was doing each day. That was like putting myself forward. And so that really helped me. But I think also like beyond that, what I tried to do most days was really go back and think like, what am I grateful for? What am I thankful for? What like materially in terms of people, changes I've made in my life, what have I really done to make myself feel good? And I think in doing that retrospective or like at the top of the day, starting it like that helped a lot. And I think for me, what was challenging for me, like I would say on some days was like, if the particular day's task wasn't something that I could readily or easily do, perhaps I was less inclined to do it. So still kind of, you know, making strides on doing those things that you commit to and are good, good for you, but you don't really want to do. And then like, what does that mean on, on those particular days? But it was good to have devoted those days to myself and have clarity on what I have to do to, to feel good. A big intention of mine, going back to the physical exercise was to be able to feel the mobility of my body even more than I had been before and kind of leaning into that because I work from home. I don't have a standing desk yet. So I'm very, very stationary. And I don't like what that's done to me, you know, as compared to pre-pandemic. So I'm trying to like focus on that too. Mm. You said in the beginning of your exploration, it took a lot of effort. Yeah. And you said it like at the end, it kind of sounded like it was like a positive mindset and intention for you, even though it sounded like it took a lot of energy. Can you explain that a little bit more of what was happening for you? Yeah, I would say, you know, we're all creatures of habit. So I think that it's, there's like still a part of me that wants to do, eat whatever I want and feel great Mm -hmm. afterwards. And that's just not the reality of like my <laughs> not <laughs> you it's everybody but yeah thank you exactly uh-huh. so I was like I shouldn't have to do this to feel good kind of thing you know I should be able to just do what I want and feel great so I think this it's I was kind of um perhaps like not wanting to face the reality of like there are certain things that certain changes that if you make them you will feel better despite the effort, but you're not wanting to, despite what have you, they will make you feel better. So I think it was just resisting that and wanting to kind of be a bit stubborn and stick to like not having structure or not, not prioritize myself every day. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, thank you for putting language to that. Cause I think a lot of people can resonate with that and how easily it can be when we feel we have to put into effort something our default can say just we're lazy or we can Mm -hmm. say self-sabotage in those ways of get into conversations of you know i'm not i'm not worth being kind to myself i'm not Mm -hmm. worth putting in this extra time and effort or taking up this space in my calendar Mm -hmm. to just do this and some other things that you shared that i want to highlight is i think there's this tension because one of the things that we have to remember, and I constantly am practicing this myself too, is like when we practice whatever we're practicing, like when we have our rituals, when we have our meditation practice or you've, you know, mindful movement practice, whatever it is, balance of going into it with an expectation that's gonna make us feel a certain way. Mm-hmm. 
-hmm. And at the same time, knowing it's a gift to ourselves. Yeah. Because I think sometimes we go into things being like, I'm going to meditate and then I'm going to feel so much better afterwards. And like, sometimes I do. And sometimes I don't, I either feel shitty or I feel the same, you know, (laughs) but I know that still creating that space to stay committed, to stay connected to the practice is a gift of, of like love and attention and, Mm -hmm. and time, which, you know, to your point, what you said, it's like, sometimes we can be resistant to, to giving that to ourselves. Yeah. And I found that sometimes I just prioritize work over all of that because I could think, all right, well, it's 848. I could meditate for 12 minutes or it's work at nine, or I could start work now and get ahead of it. Like, I just always think like, there's so much to be done. And so I just kind of chip away at the time I should be devoting to myself to get that work done. But like I said, I also observe that when I do prioritize myself and like do the physical workout ahead of time, I'm that much better at work and I can manage what comes my way more easily. So definitely uh, still working through like defaulting to work, being like the monopolizer of my time and, and letting it do so. Yeah. Like how would you play with reminding yourself that? I kind of did it like I sacrificed my evenings. I was like, let me just do what I need to do in the morning to get it done. And then I'll log on whatever time and I'll just finish up super late. So because I'm still working through it, I just knew that my morning was how was going to set the tone for the rest of the day. So do as much as I know is make me feel good in the morning and everything else I'll just kind of get done when I do. So I think I kind of just figured out was like, what's my main priority because I know it has to get done. And so what can I sacrifice as a result? I just had a session with a coaching client this morning. We were talking about priorities and this conflict of like wanting to connect to so many people and, and having to do work and, and manage all these other things. And, you know, where do you fit in also the sense of just spaciousness, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like in our lives, where can we create just a sense of spaciousness? Yeah. And so we did a, I walked her through a couple of exercises, but then also, you know, one of her practices is to sit down and explore, like, what is her ideal day and how yeah. can she actually block that off on her calendar so that her calendar doesn't get full of shit that yeah. she's not calling in for. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because that can be a very simple, I mean, it it sounds simple, obviously putting into practice, there's all the internal external stuff that comes up, but even just putting it out there and like labeling it and visualizing it can have such a huge impact then on what we're clear about what we want to say yes to and what we want to say no to. Like I hit a point a few years ago, I think it was pre-pandemic, you know, time is a blur. I believe it was pre-pandemic where I was like, you know what, going out to dinner and having evening plans multiple times a week is exhausting. And Mm -hmm. so I really kind of created this like rule of thumb and part of my calendar flow was like, okay, at max, I want to have two evening plans a week. Okay. I like that. You know, and because for me, that's what felt balanced. So having just that, even like zoom out to visualize, I think can really help us to then think about what gets prioritized. Yeah. And I've tried to 
adopt like the blocking out strategy in the evening. So I'm getting better at it for sure. But there's still an element of guilt to me and uh, for me. And I think that like, because I'm not a parent, you know, I don't have to like get my kids or cook dinner or anything like that, um, that I am actually free, but my time is just as valuable as anybody else's. So kind of like balancing that messaging because I could be online, right? But that wouldn't be good for me. So kind of like could versus should versus whatever, thinking about all of that, especially has been like a little bit more of a challenge in the uh, virtual environment. Yeah. And you're not alone again in feeling the guilt. Like, and guilt is a really tricky emotion because, I mean, we're getting into kind of some coachy work, but like Uh guilt is a tricky emotion because when it's showing up, how I like to deal with it is it's really giving us insight to conflicting values because it sounds like you have a value of working, of doing work, Mm -hmm. of being a present, productive person and successful person at work. And maybe the other value there for you is self-care or compassion or, you know, fun or whatever it is. And they, and they bump heads. And so it's like, okay, how do you balance and just have awareness of what's showing up and in conflict with one another? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like we could keep talking about this. We could forever. (laughs) Forever. Yeah. And I appreciate how you're framing a lot of what you're sharing is like what I'm working on right now, because I think we're all, we're all working on stuff. Mm -hmm. We're all in evolution. There is never a there myself included. It's always new dots connecting. We're always in new cycles and seasons in life. Thank you for sharing all the powerful practices you've had and all the ways that you've you know, learn to prioritize your mental health. I love the way it is amazing. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to the Center in the City podcast. Please take a moment to share this episode with somebody in your life that would find meaning in it. And let's continue the conversation about mental health, about taking up space and prioritizing our well-being. Join me on Instagram at OneWade, or you can always reach out to Afia on LinkedIn. Until next time, stay safe.